praise the Lord. It's good to be in His house. Even more so, it's good to be His child. You know, I find comfort in something. I've recently had to battle the lies that sometimes the enemy sorely presses upon you, whether it is that you don't belong or you have no right to come before the Lord, that He won't hear what you got to say because He knows full well what you're struggling with. And it's it's never ceases to shock me how cunning the enemy is at slipping that in. And you know, in the Scripture we've seen, he, he says in places where you remind Him of His promises, it's not that He is going to forget them. It's so you have a, that built-in training that it's less likely, likely for that lie to have an effect on you. And in a way, I'm ashamed recently of getting to that place for quite a period of time in my mind. But I also take comfort because I'm not the only one. The cloud of witnesses, he sorely, he even did it with Jesus. He said, I, you know, with the scribes and Pharisees, we even know who our Father is. And the enemy, when he came to Jesus at the start of his ministry, when he fasted, he said, if you are, he always said, if you really are who you say you are, if you really are appointed for this, is what he was saying. He was attacking his very identity. And now we know that we don't come before Him in arrogance because we have no right to be there. Not in our own merits. We could never, the best life we could live a thousand lives over would never earn that right. But you know, we've heard recently about the prodigal father, as it were. We always heard it, the prodigal son, but it was really the story of the prodigal father. The son in that got to that place where he didn't really believe he belonged anymore because of what he did. But he also held on to a little glimmer of hope that even the slaves and servants in his father's house were treated far better than what he was being treated. And he went willing to reject that acceptance. He said, I don't belong. And before he could even get it out, the father shut his mouth, had his servants strip him down, put his festal robes on him and put the signet ring of the household upon his hand. In Isaiah 62, verse 6, it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You will remind the Lord and take no rest for yourselves and give Him no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That was a promise that He had given about Jerusalem, the land, their land, that He would glorify it for their sake. He would bless it for their sake. And you notice he says, give me no rest. Day and night, take no rest yourselves. Day and night, keep it before my eyes. Keep it before my ears. He wanted it that, not just for himself. That's what I, I'm, I'm sure Abraham did whenever he said, you take your son up there and you sacrifice him. I'm, I'm sure that Abraham didn't talk back. It shows nowhere where he talked back, but he reminded him of his promises because it says there, even if he has to raise him from the dead, his promise will be fulfilled. Let's quickly turn over to Ephesians. This is a, a lie that is so shrewd. And it has merit. 
Because we know rightly that we don't belong in the flesh. We know in the flesh, without anybody, any other thing taking place, we have no right to come before God the Father. In fact, sin itself can't even be in the same presence of God the Father. But the very nature of our God, our Father, is love. A love that can't, can't even comprehend it with earthly mind. You can see, get a glimmer of it because we're so deluded by the flesh. So We've seen everything but that purity of love, except for in a few cases like Stephen and Jesus. And, the, some of the, and sometimes the Lord has blessed us with a taste of that where we've had that moment where we didn't act normal. We had that pure love no matter what someone was doing to us. And it was so clean and so pure and something to thirst after. And it also, the enemy can even use that at times because he has in me. When you start slipping up, when you find yourself off track, when you find yourself face down in the mud, not that you've given up, not that you're done as far as he's concerned, but the simple fact is it reminds you of how far you are. If you've had a taste of that or seen that love that he's bestowed upon you, it's like, well, you know, he, the enemy wants to use it in the negative. He wants us to give up. He wants us to find no purpose. The title of this, if someone wants a title, is Where Do I Belong? You think you have it hedged in your mind and solid and you look back at the promises and all the blessings that He's given you and all the places He's delivered you from in your walk and you think I'm solid in that. I know I won't lose that. I won't, I won't even for a minute, moment lose grasp on that. But if we don't do like He says, and perpetually without rest remind Him of His promises and hold fast to who He says we are in Him, we will lose that. Because there's no other example in this whole world of that. We were bombarded by everything else. It's like Peter. He was fine as long as he was focused. He was walking on that water. I mean... Because my carnal mind would be like, you know, anybody can lie and say, yeah, I'm him. Come on out. I mean, he said, well, if it's you, Lord, bid me. I thought that as a child. I'm like, what if the dude's a liar? Like, yeah, come on. It's like he didn't even, he just, he had a faith in him that when he asked that, God would hedge that promise. And that if he said, come on out, that it would be him, that it wouldn't be a liar. He jumped out and started for him and was headed that way. And the moment everything started getting in his peripherals, started wearing him down, he immediately started sinking. He wasn't upset with Peter. He knew that was going to happen. You notice the moment he realized he was sinking and drowning and he cried out, he was immediately there and took his hand. That's the way the Lord is with us. I remember the footprints in the sand and the one that had that little parable, as it were, saw the single footprints in the sand whenever he was in the hardest, most dire truth or dare moment, so to speak. And he got upset and he said, every time that I was in the direst moments, you left me. You left me alone. He said, no. He said, I was carrying you. Those are my footprints in the, where you only see one set. I was carrying you. That's the way he is with us. He's like Job was when the Lord said, okay, here's the line. You can go this far, but you can't cross that line. You cannot rip my beloved out of my hands. And he waited until Job was a little stronger and then he gave him a little more ground. A little stronger and he gave him... It's like I was taught by Michael when I was training 
is we don't judge ourselves accurately when we're trying to do exercises. We're like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm going to quit here. That's why we need someone there to say, no, no, no. You got one or two more reps in here. you. Come on. You're going to failure, buddy. And then they don't snatch the, if they do it correctly, they don't snatch the weight off of you. They assist just enough that you keep moving. That's the way the Lord is. It's like, you just come on a little further. I'll give you this little bump. It's a little second wind, but you come on. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. This is where we belong. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I know this has been read several times of recent, but it's imperative that we hold on to it, hold fast to it. Whether we're here and we're struggling or whether those that we've seen that have been pulled away from the flock for a period of time, they've struggled with this very same thing. I don't belong. He would never receive me back. He could never, I've went too far. How could he ever receive me back? This is his promise. He is the prodigal father. And Jesus loves us just as much because of his own. He didn't spare a thing. He didn't just save us from death and the lake of fire. He went the extra mile. He, his body was torn to shreds. He was tortured beyond measure to be the fullest purchase, to purchase for the greatest price, us. Who's going to stand before him and accuse us? You think of Joshua the high priest. He basically told him, you keep your mouth shut. This is the one I purchased. This is my blood on him. You keep your mouth shut. And the enemy had to abate and keep his mouth shut. Verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Before He found the foundations of this world, He's outside of time. He knew what kind of pain, He knew what kind of evil we're witnessing in this country, one of the most blessed countries we've seen in decades, hundreds of years even. Such depravity, such evil, just evil speaking, maligning, attacking the very innocent. The twisting of the, the, the perpetrators, which we know we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but the, the, the vessels of the enemy are the victims now. And the innocent are the, are the predatory people that need to be dealt with. It's the way this society is going. But he, he saw that and he's willing to endure that for the purchase to be made full for us, His bride. We may differ in opinions. We may even act in ways that we really don't want to spend time with each other in the flesh. But the point is we all belong together. We are all His child. We're all waiting the bridegroom. We are all His bride. If you have that struggle, I don't belong before Him. I've gone too far. You have hope. Your heart's not hardened. He's drawing you. He's doing like uh, Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, isn't it, Saul? He knew what he was doing. It was driving Saul nuts. It was tearing him up inside. He had the right heart. He was going to be changed. He knew the Lord knew who belongs. He knows who belongs to him. That you would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be set as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According, according to the kind intention of His will. That's why 
He took pleasure in crushing His Son, not because He hated Jesus. He so loved us. And He knew that was the only way He could have us, is to allow His Son to be sorely crushed and attacked by the bulls of Bashan, surrounded without hope. Jesus, before He took of that cup, He knew what that cup was. And it says, before the joy set before Him, He endured. He embraced the cross. He didn't just say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. He embraced the cross for us. We were the joy set before Him. We were the purchase He was willing to make. And those that have had marriage or that, that kind of love on, on this scale on the earth have, a, have had a taste and the rest of us, we see in awe and we, and we watch and we know, hope, hopefully we maintain that purity of if I get married, this is how I want to be. I want to have that passion. Verse 7, or the end of verse 6 rather, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, through the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. And all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him. You know, sometimes in the past, I fought that trying to have that pure forgiveness towards whomever, even if I'm convinced the person did it maliciously in my flesh. But you know, I'm beginning to realize more and more kind of an easy way out on that is if you view that person as you view your Lord and Savior, you can't hold anything against that person. You won't even willingly entertain that thought. And he says, if you if you forgive them, you're for, what you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. If we won't forgive those whom we have seen, how can we love and forgive God whom we in the trenches think that He's wronged us? Because all of us have probably been there. My Lord, did You allow us to go through that? We were innocent. What We believed the lie. Satan wanted us to believe the lie and we believed it for a little glimpse when all actuality is the other way around. We're constantly laying... He covers us closely with His wings, even when we're lashing at His underbelly, His most sensitive heart. And He doesn't hold it to our account. He stands there perpetually before the Father and says, I know this is mine. This one belongs to me. They don't mean what they say. He still says they don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand. They're in fog. They're in pain. They're in, they're in this body of death. I've walked there, Dad. And He still intercedes for us. Praise Him for His love. And the Father doesn't want us to put it, doesn't want to put us away anyway. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first 
to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you have also, after listening to the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation, have also believed. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. We belong to Him. No one, no one, there's not a power on this earth strong enough to take us out of His hand. The only one that has that power is you and I to continually say, I don't want you. And if we have the torment, don't believe lie, if we have the torment of, well, I don't belong, He's wasted it on me, I can't go before Him, we belong to Him. The enemy's trying to lie to us. It's the ones that avidly, like the Sadducees and Pharisees, were hardened, that were not going to bow perpetually. Look at it this way. He washed Judas's feet just as well as he did Peter's and everybody else's. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He also knew Peter would deny him three times with cursing and profanity. He never allowed the... the disciples at the time, soon to be the apostles, to even have it in their mind to attack and lash out towards those two. I mean, he told them plainly, he's going to betray me. The one dipping in the bowl with me is going to betray me. As soon as he left to do what he was going to do, they immediately thought he was going to do something prearranged for the Holy Day. They didn't even hear it. He told Peter straight out, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Even Peter didn't believe it. He didn't understand it. He protected each of them from even the others having some kind of attitude towards them. Judas could have repented. It just wasn't in Judas's heart. He would have received Judas back. He received Peter back. He loved Peter. In fact, he made it clear whenever he said, you go tell the disciples and Peter. Because Peter didn't view himself as a disciple anymore. He was distraught. He thought he'd went too far. He believed the lies. I've went too far. How could he ever? And I, I, I believe the way that the Lord inspired the movie The Passion, where at the moment, the last time he denied, you see him look across and Jesus looked. I'm pretty confident that's probably what had really happened because it sunk him. The last time you can tell, Peter wasn't the same. And I would imagine he laid eyes on his beloved, the one he was willing, his heart was willing, his flesh was weak. We never know when the one to the left, the one to the right, or even ourselves are being sifted like we by Satan or one of his chief demons. We don't know. We can speculate. We can say, well, all the evidence points some kind of way, even to ourselves. I've been cruel to myself. And it is good to be careful with yourself, but not cruel. Because you start believing the lies of the devil when you get in a place where you're not going to try anymore, that, that there's no hope. When, when he's sitting right there with a finger's reach, all you got to do is reach up and take his hand. And you won't because you think you've gone too far. And Satan's over there, I got him. I've got him. But even with that, the Lord is so loving, so patient. He shakes the cobwebs off of your eyes at a point and says, okay, you see my hand now? Reach up and take it. I'm here for you. My arms... The father was sitting on the porch in the story looking at the horizon he didn't chase his son down. He didn't go after him, didn't track him down, didn't send a bunch of servants to keep an eye on him. He was sitting there eagerly awaiting his arrival. 
And the moment he saw, he knew his son so well from at a distance when he topped the hill. You can imagine after all that loose living and living with the hogs and wanting to eat their slop, he was a completely changed man as by appearance. He saw him come over the prize and immediately knew who he was. Girded his loins, which is not a very dignified thing to do, and took off as fast as he could to embrace his son and cleansed him and put the very ring of authority of his household on his finger. That's the love he loves us with. That's where we belong. So don't listen to the lies. And I praise him. Let us praise him with open hearts because of that very promise. We don't deserve it. It was freely bestowed upon us. And let us have that same passion, that same forgiveness, that same pure love towards everyone. Thank you. Thank you.